Hi, and welcome to another episode of Raising His Kids, a podcast for stepmoms. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren, a child-free stepmom of one, hoping for an hour's baby soon. And I'm Tony, a bio mom of two and a stepmom of two. We are two stepmoms who, although we live at opposite ends of the world, quickly bonded over how we all deal with the same Karen as we navigate our lives raising his kids. Welcome back and welcome back, Lauren, from maternity leave. Yes, so excited. Full disclosure, Miss A is with Lauren right now. So if there's any baby noise, you're going to hear baby noise because let's face (laughs) it, it's the realities of parenting. Yeah. And I've, I've got... I've got my tribe outside and hopefully they can keep Miss K quiet long enough for us to finish recording. Hopefully. But if they don't, it is what it is. Exactly. How are you doing? I am good. I'm tired, but Miss A is going to be six weeks this week on Friday. So we've had a while to get used to each other and recover and everything. So we're doing good. She's so gorgeous. I just want to smush her all the time. And Miss K, (laughs) the polos that Miss K sends back where she's shaking her head, her big thing at the moment is that yes is no. Everything is no at the moment, but like <laughs> she'll be looking at the videos and she'll be talking to Miss A and talking, oh, it's a bubby, so cute. Mummy, can you take me to see the bubby? And I'm like, it's, oh. a, it's a long way to take you to see <laughs> <Very> the bubby. <laughs> That's funny. It, I, it had me cracking up when you were like, oh, isn't the baby cute? And she's like, no. <laughs> that had me like dying. I was, my first word was no. So I can definitely relate to her on that. <laughs> She walks around the house. She's got a tiny baby and it's about this big, I don't know, 15 centimeters. Like it's a tiny baby. Uh-huh. And she walks around and she's been calling it Avery. Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> so, yeah, she's she's like the baby now has a name and it's named after your daughter. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so, I love that. And also had me dying when she was talking about one of her baby dolls and she called it her stupid baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, she has this baby alive and it was gifted to her from her cousin and it cries and it oh, it's almost like, you know, those babies they give you in like, early childhood education where you've got the key to turn it off well this one is basically like that except it has a bottle and a dummy and it has a different cry for when it wants a dummy or a bottle so and if you put the dummy in its mouth when it wants the bottle it spits the dummy out it sounds like so much work it is and she gets exhausted and she's like mommy i give up you do it that is so funny. She's learning that lesson early. <laughs> yeah, and if I if I turn it off and its eyes are open, she knows that I've turned it off. So I have to wait. I have to like wait and put it to sleep and then turn it off. <laughs> oh my god, that's a chore for both of you. It is. It's like I have a newborn baby, but that is so funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's funny. So I guess today we might touch on birth stories a little bit because we're all women. We're all mothers, and I guess. It's important to share the stories. I think so. I, the ugly. I listened to a lot of birth stories uh, before I gave birth, good and bad, just to like hear everything. And uh, actually, one of the other stepmoms suggested that I do that. And I thought it was a really good idea. So I feel like that works mm-hmm. out. If, if you're about to have a baby, this podcast might help. Exactly. And for those who don't know, I suffered birth trauma with Big K's birth. Um, it was very traumatic for me. I had a C-section and I guess I'd spoken to you about it. So I guess that's why you knew when you found out, like when you ended up having to have a C-section, you knew that you could reach out to me and talk to me 
Yeah, I do wish I did more research for myself on C-section, but I was like naive and just thought that that didn't apply to me. So um, that was I didn't me. research it at all. <laughs> that was me. Every other woman in my family had, well, besides my auntie, but I didn't know that my auntie had had a C-section. I just, I only knew of everyone else's positive birth stories where they had had their babies naturally or the ones that had had um, elective C-sections. Right. So I didn't think it applied to me. And then I had this horrible traumatic emergency C-section. And as I was saying to you before off recording was it led to me not being able to bond with my own child. Right. Um, I do think there's something about the c-section that it, it like you said before it just feels so unnatural and it's just i don't there's nothing wrong with it if that if like you're planning on it i feel like it would just be so much easier if you were planning for it uh but mm-hmm. when it wasn't part of your plan mine wasn't an emergency luckily um so mine was just like an unplanned c-section but yeah. uh there's just something like about it where it's like a little traumatizing if you weren't expecting it yeah and I guess when I planned, when I was pregnant with Miss K, I went for a VBAC, which was classed as a special scar VBAC. So for anyone else listening, I have a um, uterine extension. So instead of your smiley face C-section that you have on the outside, there can be different scars on the inside of your uterus, which I didn't know that. They didn't tell me that after I had Big K. So I didn't know that as well right now. <laughs> I thought that I just had the smiley face C-section inside and out, but turns out I my smiley face on the inside has a tail where it, it extends down to my uterine artery. I was classed as high risk for my VBAC, um, high risk of uterine rupture. Mm-hmm. And I had like eight medical professionals tell me that I needed to have a repeat C-section or I was going to kill myself and kill my baby. What? That's wild. But but I had a small percentage of supportive medical professionals who supported me in it and they were very supportive because they knew that I'd done my research. You know, they look at it. So you'll get told this if you have any more children and you decide to have a VBAC, they'll tell you that you have a 1% to 2% chance of uterine rupture, right? Oh, God. I looked at it and I went, well... If it was brain surgery and they told me I had a 99 to 98% chance of it being successful, why wouldn't I take that? Right. They also don't tell you that the the risks with each subsequent C-section get worse and there's yeah. actually a higher m- mortality rate with each subsequent, subsequent C-section. So it actually is safer to do VBAC if you're a good candidate for it, which in most cases, most women are. Unless, of course, there's the rare, like, narrow, small pelvis, or if you do have a ridiculously large baby, which neither you or I did have large babies. And I think I told you, like, the reason for my C-section was because Big K had a humongous head. Right. um, And he had compressed his plates as small as they were going to go, and he was coming out brow first, chin up, and lodged in my pelvis. So they had to, like, push him back up and out. And when I had my friend who's a midwife go over my birth records five years later when I was pregnant with Miss Kay, because she couldn't understand why they were telling me I couldn't VBAC. And no one had told me about my special scar until I was like 12 weeks pregnant with Miss Kay and they were trying to book me in for a C-section already. Like they were trying to go, all right, let's book you in at 37 weeks. I'm like, no, 
Um, how, did, how did they know if you have a special scar? Because it was written on my medical notes, but no okay. one actually told me. So I had to request my medical notes. That's so and frustrating. I, and then I took them to my friend's house and she went over them with me and she explained what my scar was and why they're saying what they were saying. But she also gave me some closure that my C-section was 100% necessary. It So I was... I dead set against having a C-section, especially because I could see Big K's head there. And my brother, who's a doctor, he's an emergency doctor. He had come into the room when he found out there was complications. He was working. I was birthing Big K in the same hospital he worked at. And when he found out there was complications, he came down to see me. And he looked at me when I was saying no to a C-section and refusing to sign the paperwork. And he said, if you don't do this, you're going to die and he's going to die. Oh, well, a lot easier to believe when it's your brother though. Exactly. And he didn't say it that calmly either, but it made me go, oh shit, okay, I need to sign the paperwork. And I guess that contributed to my trauma because the doctors weren't telling me that. They're like, oh, you've been pushing for an hour and we don't allow mothers to push for longer than an hour. What? There's no way that's true. It's not true. They were just trying to calmly persuade me into a C-section rather just tell me the truth. Like I'm the type of person, tell me the truth, right? My brother said what he said and it contributed to my trauma. And when I was talking to my friend five years later and she said, look, your C-section was 100% medically necessary. What your brother said was right, but there was no immediate danger. Basically, Big K was stuck there. So if you didn't have a C-section, eventually the two of you would have died because there was no other way to get him out. He was he was lodged there. Like he had, you had to have the C-section. Otherwise you both would have eventually died. That helped to heal a little bit, but it made me more determined than ever to have a VBAC. Right. And I don't know about you. Like, I don't know if you, if you're ready to even think about going down that path yet. No, <laughs> not quite. It took me five years to even be ready to have another child. Yeah. I, if we decide to, it'll probably be another at least another year or two. Yeah. But so. when I was in the hospital, I was like, we're never doing that again. But I've softened to it a little bit already. So I could definitely see it being a possibility. Yeah. And you just know for next time to prepare yourself yeah. for every scenario. Like when I prepared for my VBAC, I had my VBAC plan was my number one plan. And then I had a C-section plan where I wanted to do like a maternal assisted cesarean if it came to that. Because with Big K, I was numb from the neck down. Mm-hmm. So I could only move my head and I, I didn't get to hold him. He wasn't put on my chest for a few hours. So I wanted to, if it resulted in a C-section with Miss K, I wanted to be the one to like reach down and bring her to my chest. Is that an option? It is an option if you're planning for a C-section, but you have to request it. And it is an option in America. I know that because of one of the VBAC podcasts that I listened to. It had heaps of stories about C-backs, which is cesarean birth after cesarean, H-backs, everything. So I can always, if anyone else is had C-sections and interested in hearing about VBACs, you can reach out to me and I can point you in the direction of where I got all my information from. Because I listened from start to finish every episode of this podcast, which was purely just about VBACs, and it was all American-based, but the information is basically the same. Right. Well, that's pretty cool. I know, um, like, in my situation, I guess, because it was unplanned or it might have been because of the hospital, but they specifically said in the paperwork I signed that my partner couldn't, like, he couldn't be on the other side of the drapes. Like, he had to be near my head until they, like, walked him out. Yeah. So... 
with the maternal assisted cesarean. So the drapes are still up. They do their surgical bits. They cut. They they like pull the baby out. Sure, yeah. Like just enough. And then they like glove you up and they drop the drape and then you can pick up. But they just drop the drape like enough so that you can bring baby to your chest. Gotcha. So because that was the same with my C-section. And I know one of our other listeners, I believe she she had her C-section under general anesthetic. So her husband wasn't in the room at all and no one at the hospital even took photos for them. So they have no photos of their son being born because they, none of the nurses or doctors, and I get her cesarean was an emergency, but there was like midwives and lots of other people there and they didn't even take photos while they were doing the checks and stuff. And like, that's really disheartening. Like Big K wasn't breathing. Like he had to have someone work on him and they still managed to take photos of them, like checking his weight and his height and his head circumference. And like, there's no pictures of him coming out because it was like such a rush but there were still photos of those first moments and I feel really bad for one of our listeners because I know for a fact that her her husband both missed out on that and there's not even a photo of proof that is hard because that was something that was hard for me to deal with was that I missed out on those things like her weight and everything um my husband got to go but um luckily our labor and delivery nurse was amazing and she went with him and took all the pictures and stuff so luckily there are pictures but I feel like I don't like that I missed out on it at like Mm -hmm. at all if I didn't get to see the pictures I would be heartbroken yeah I like I remember I looked at those pictures probably once or twice and I actually can't even look at the pictures from Big K's birth because yeah is still very even like he turns nine in December and I am still very vividly traumatized about it like I'm actually going on another podcast next week to actually talk about my birth and I'm just like I don't know how I'm gonna do this oh you you have to uh let me know when that comes out because I want to listen to it yeah I will and she's looking for listeners especially because she's Australian based but she wants to get some internationally as well so you could even um write into her and share your story when you're ready okay yeah I might she'll that. Love that. but yeah so I just I'm having to psych myself up and like I guess it's good that we're doing this episode now so that I'm talking about it without bursting into tears yeah because <laughs> I burst still into think- tears that's okay <laughs> Like I, yeah, just thinking about his birth, there's just so many things that went wrong. Okay, not wrong. They didn't go to my plan. Right. Which still make me cry. And there's still some things that trigger me. Like I, another reason I didn't want to be in the hospital is like, you know, the hospital lighting. Oh yeah. It's horrible. It. I still get triggered by it when I'm there for appointments for other things because of the memories of his birth. Like I was yeah. seeing the um, spinal surgeon because of my neck injury and I would get so anxious sitting in the waiting room because of the hospital lighting and I would be thinking about Big K's birth. That's horrible. Did you feel that way when you had uh, Miss K? Um, It happened so fast I didn't have enough time. Well, that's good. At least it didn't like taint that experience. Yeah, but I was also terrified of going to the hospital too early that I almost didn't make it. Oh my God, that's so scary. So like with Big K, I went as soon as my waters broke and then I just had intervention after intervention after intervention. And with Miss K, I wasn't allowed to birth at the small country hospital where my midwife worked because of the VBAC. I had to birth at the bigger hospital. Right. And like I was in denial that I was in labor until I was 
in like full blown labor. I'd been having like mild contractions and I was just ignoring it. And then I, we were at my parents' house because it was Australia Day and the boys were in the pool. Like my siblings were there. My nieces and nephews were there. And my sister-in-law looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I said, no, you need to go get my husband. We have to go home and the boys aren't coming with us. And she went, oh shit. (laughs) Um, And so that was at like 3.30 in the afternoon. My midwife came to my house at like 5.30 and she checked me and I was only one centimeter. So I was like, I am not going to the hospital at all. Like I'm one centimeter. If I go there, they're going to force me and guilt me into a C-section. I'm not doing it. And then an hour later, I was in so much pain. I was screaming like, okay, it's time for drugs. Like I need drugs now. And then we got in the car and it's about a 30 to 40 minute drive to the hospital. And then my contractions stopped completely. Like really? I had I had no contractions on the way to the hospital. So I tried to convince my husband to turn around oh and he wouldn't. And, yeah, and that he didn't. <laughs> the second we got out of the car, they were coming like a minute apart. Oh my God. And I was in emergency because it was late at night. So I was in emergency, like waiting for them to take me down to the birthing suites. And I just, I was like, you know, moaning, groaning as you do when you're in labor. And then the next minute an orderly's like come out of nowhere. He was meant to get another patient. He's like, I'm going to take her. And he was running. And I remember I'm sitting in a wheelchair and he had to keep stopping so that I could stand up for every contraction because I couldn't. And I had um, my husband and my best friend were there because I wanted the extra support people in case it resulted in a C-section. Yeah. And I I just remember like my friend is like six foot tall and I'm only five foot three. And I was like hanging my hands around her neck and like using her as like a support thing because I had no like feeling in my legs. They were like jelly. Oh um, and when I got there, by the time I got up to like got to the birthing suites, it was about eight and they were like trying to talk to me. And all I got out was I'm a V-back. I'm a V-back because I wasn't meant to be birthing with those midwives. My midwife missed it because um, she was at a cesarean at the other hospital that I wasn't allowed to birth at. Oh, no, that sucks. And then I did have a flash of trauma. I went to the toilet. So with Big K, I he was trying to force his way out at three centimetres. Like oh he was God. in distress. So I could feel you didn't, you didn't get as far in labor, but there's the fetal ejection process. So he mm-hmm. was like, his head was pounding on my cervix, trying to get out at three centimeters. And my uterus was like trying to push him out. And I, um, I'd gotten up to go to the toilet and there was just blood everywhere. It was like a murder scene. And so I told them I had to go to the toilet. I went to the toilet and there was blood everywhere. I was like, oh God, like not again. Um, and then they checked me and a midwife was going, I think she's, she sounds like she's in transition, but I really don't think she is, which is the most traumatic thing you could say to someone wanting a V-back. Like they weren't, they weren't mindful of what they were saying, right? That, thing, that their words could be triggering. So then I'm like, oh God, cause the pain level I was at three centimeters was what I was at with Miss K at eight centimeters, which is transition pain. But I didn't know that I was eight centimeters with her yet. And the midwife just said that. Oh, oh. So when you got to the hospital, you were eight centimeters. Yeah. And then she was born 20 minutes later. Wow. That's amazing. And and they were yelling at me like, don't push, don't push. It says on your file, you have to have a C-section. And I was really grateful 
for my friend because she turned around and said, you need to shut up now because this baby is coming and she is not having a C-section. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad. And like, don't get me wrong. My husband was there. He was very supportive. He did all the right things, but I knew that my friend, the type of person that she is, that she could voice those opinions for me when I couldn't. Yeah. I have a friend like that too, who I would probably want if I had another baby. Yeah. It's just, and I'm so glad that I had Miss K before COVID because otherwise like if I had gone over or whatever, I wouldn't have been able to have any support people. Yeah, that is so crazy. I can't imagine giving birth during uh, COVID. No, like definitely I can't imagine having a VBAC during COVID and having to deal with that. Like at one point, partners weren't even allowed in the room. Yeah, that is just so crazy to me. I have a friend who she gave birth by herself because her partner wasn't allowed to be there. That's just, it's horrible. That's traumatizing in itself. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's so messed up. So, but what what happened with Miss A, like with your birth with Miss A? Well, it started with me being induced, which I'm kind of mad at myself for not asking more questions about that because I don't think that was the right move. But anyway, it, that's what happened. Um, So it was like, I don't know, like a Thursday or something. And they were like, oh, we're going to be getting you induced next week. So it was like the next like Tuesday, I think, that we went in to get induced and I was in labor for 52 hours with no progress my body made no progress towards like getting her out of my body I neither like she didn't either she never dropped she was still high up so it was like that that's why I had an unplanned c-section it was my choice in the end but um yeah because it was either you stayed how you were going or yeah I mean basically yeah and I was hooked up I don't know what they're called but they're like the little bands that go around your belly that are like they Mm -hmm. read her heartbeat and your contractions so I was hooked up to those and um so I couldn't get up unless I had to go pee and which I I believe I warned you against them because that's what they did yeah, that's what they remember. did to me with Big K. And they kept telling me that I wasn't allowed to get up and move around. And I said to you, like, if they tell you that you have to stay in the bed, you don't have to do anything they say. Oh, yeah. I do remember you saying that. And they were like, oh, well, you can, like, get up, but you have to, like, unplug these things and take your IV thing with you and, like, all this stuff. So it was, like, almost not even worth getting up anyway. But I couldn't uh-huh. eat. So it was, like, I couldn't eat. I couldn't walk around. I couldn't, like do anything I was just mentally like oh I couldn't sleep because they come in every 20 minutes and wake you up so it was like it felt like mental torture and then they did all their quote-unquote bag of tricks to get my body to do what it's supposed to with like uh, medications they manually broke my water it's kind of graphic but they put like a cervical balloon in me to like stretch my cervix and that worked it got me to four centimeters but then my body made no progress after that at all so I was like I just wasn't like my body wasn't ready I was having contractions because of the Pitocin so they were strong enough to get her out of me and they were close enough together but she was still not low enough so it was like yeah it just wasn't going to happen so like it was like 58 two hours in and I was like what is the likelihood that I'm gonna have this baby today or like tonight because it was like 10 30 and they were like yeah you're probably not going to but it's you know they can't predict it because it you could go from zero to 10 in like a second right Mm -hmm. so I was like I can't do this anymore and they tried to push against the c-section um they were like like she was visibly disappointed when that's what I chose so um but then they 
got me my paperwork and I had a baby two hours later. So, but it was like, I, I don't think we were recording yet when I was talking about how I didn't feel like I bonded with her uh, at all for probably at least until we came home from the hospital because the hospital Mm -hmm. stay we were like I said we were there for six days and it was just like an overall traumatizing experience of like the doctors and nurses like pushing me for breastfeeding they wouldn't let her eat formula because they wanted me to breastfeed and then I'm so stressed out because I just wanted her to eat I was like I don't Mm -hmm. care if she eats a rib dinner right now I just want her to eat something like it doesn't have to be breast milk I think the birth definitely has something to do with it because I think I said before, I didn't bond with Big K straight away. Like they, I got, you know, he had to be resuscitated. They brought him to my head for a minute. Then him and his father got whisked out of the room because he had to go to NICU. I got knocked out. I woke up in recovery. They put a baby on my boob and I was looking at it like, what is it? Yeah. This isn't my baby. Like why? Like I had no attachment. And then I don't know if I said it while we were recording or or not, but not only did that happen, but then, you know, I fell back asleep. They took him away. He went back to NICU. I woke up in the ward and my in-laws had walked in and told me how beautiful my son was. And I hadn't even really met him. Like I hadn't even really seen his face other than in a drug haze. Mm -hmm. And my in-laws are telling me how beautiful my son is. So I was mad that my boundaries were not respected because I'd asked them to come up to the hospital the next day. And I struggled to breastfeed with him. Like it was a hard, hard journey. And I was determined to breastfeed. And everyone kept telling me, just give him formula, just give him formula. I was like, no, I can do this. If I can't birth him naturally, I am going to breastfeed him. Like that was my mindset. But then with Miss Kay, like I said, she like fell out onto the bed. Like I did one push and her, there was no mums that have given birth vaginally will know about the ring of fire. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Like she like slowly descended and then I like I felt her head go back up and like this rush of panic went through me because I was like oh shit her head stuck because that's what happened with Big K. So I on my next contraction I pushed with all my might and her entire body came out head body <laughs> everything like shoulders there was no ring of fire she just flew out but I had that connection like she came out of me and I put I was able to pick her up and put her on my chest there was no doubt that she was my baby right like so the birth definitely plays a big part in it because I was able to breastfeed her successfully for over a year oh really and big k I ended up having to substitute him with formula at four months Uh, Like exclusively formula? Um, So he was mix fed, but then by seven months, he was exclusively formula and food. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it. She's mixed fed now, but it is, it's just really hard because she wasn't ready either. So she, they were saying because, oh, I was also like almost a month early. It was three and a half weeks early. Mm-hmm. sorry it's okay. It's okay. so so they were like oh well, she's early she doesn't know like what she's doing yet either like you're both trying to figure it out and all that was like the breastfeeding but they were just pushing for it so hard it just created this like unnecessary stress around it that I feel like kind of messed with that for me but I mean like I said as long as she's eating I don't care because she lost nine percent of her body weight in the hospital uh they were like well we're not concerned until she gets to like loses ten percent of her body weight i'm like she's close enough she's like five and a half pounds now and we can't take her home if she loses any more weight because our car seat is only 
like regulated for five pounds and up. Yeah. So that whole, like the whole thing was just like really, really stressful for me. And I think for her and my husband was definitely very stressed out too. And he was the one who wasn't sleeping at all because he was staying awake with her while I was sleeping. So he was in a whole other area of stress. And it, it would have been a different experience for him too. Yeah, for sure. I know that my husband, the experience was different. Like he didn't understand why the doctors were pressuring me for a C-section. You know, his first two kids were born via induction. Like they booked the date, got induced. The kids came out the same day. Like there was no... Really? Yeah, there was like no stress, no worry. So he couldn't understand what all this buildup was. And right. then, you know, like... She came naturally, so, like, and it was just, it was very rushed for him because he'd had that very relaxed, like, book him for an induction and have the kids that way, so it was a different experience for him. But I know a lot of stepmoms worry about how their partner is going to bond with the child and if they're going to love the child because it's not their first child, Mm -hmm. and there was no... There was no doubt in my mind. Like, he was very supportive through my pregnancy. Like, this was a baby we wanted together. It was, you know, our first baby together. So, it was still a first, but it was neither of our first child. But, you know, there's that reaction. Like, you don't know what to expect when the baby's born. And, like, he was just so smitten with her instantly. Like, I'm laying on the bed getting cleaned up. And he's, like, there dressing her, putting her in her little pink onesie. (laughs) And it was just, it was so adorable to watch. Yeah, I I will say that um definitely before my pregnancy I was one of those people like I always thought that it wouldn't be like as special of an experience um but it is it seriously is um like you said with your husband mine was so supportive throughout my whole pregnancy it was so reassuring to me that once we like the baby was here that he was going to be just as supportive and loving and all of that and then it it was still a a first it was a a super um special experience for him and like with you it's the first girl and I just feel like Mm -hmm. it's like there's definitely something about like dads and daughters so definitely um, I had that too definitely he's like so smitten with her too it's so cute oh I bet I'd love to see it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I keep meaning to take videos of stuff like that, and I keep forgetting. I'm it's, terrible at videos. I I didn't take a lot of videos and photos of Big K's first moments in life, and I think because we were in lockdown for Miss K's, I took so mm. many. Yeah. So it was kind of... You know, it gave us something like we would do something, every, especially every time we left the house. Like I'd make sure that I got a photo because we were actually leaving the house. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that that will um, definitely, COVID will do that to you. Mm. But how how has the transition been for T? Because I know that you were worried because of things that he'd said and his lack of interest when you're pregnant. How's he been with his baby yeah. sister? So during my pregnancy, he did not care at all. And then the first time they met, we were celebrating his birthday. So he still wasn't terribly interested, but that was also understandable because we were at uh, my in-laws house and they were in the pool and me and her couldn't get in the pool. So we were inside mm-hmm. and, you know, he was hyped up on sugar and all that other stuff. So, but they were just over this week, this past weekend, he was over. And that was the first time that they were together all weekend like that. And mm-hmm. at first he know he doesn't want to hold her. Um, I think because he thinks she's fragile which she is mm-hmm. but um but he like touches her face a lot which does give me anxiety but 
I try to be calm about it. But he said that he's, uh, he'll walk by and he'll be like, she's the cutest baby in the whole world. I'm like, I know she oh. is. <laughs> and like, he keeps like, you know, like touching her belly and like uh, trying to communicate with her. And now he wants to show her the new Lego movie, which is his like, he's like obsessed with Legos. So I'm like, yeah, that'll be great. Next time you come over, we will all watch the Lego movie. So um, oh, he's that's... definitely more excited now. Yeah. And I did say to you, that it might change when she's actually here. And you said that as well. Like there was no evidence besides an ultrasound picture on the fridge. Yeah. There was no evidence that she was real. Right. And like we had a crib set up, but like that doesn't mean anything to him. Like that's just another bed. It's like we have a bed in our room too. That doesn't mean anything to him. So, uh, and and I did understand that. Um, Not to mention he has some like influence from his mm-hmm. other side of his family but I th- like actually seeing her and like interacting with her a little bit definitely helped he loves her now yeah he actually said yeah. i'm so excited to tell people i have a baby sister now well that that's good and i'm yeah. happy for you i remember when miss k was born and because i'm very open and honest with my children big k had asked how the baby was going to come out and i had said to him well mommy's gonna try and push her out of her vagina and he's like Oh, okay. He's like, did I come out of your vagina? I said, no, mate, you got cut out of me. You were too big. And I told him bits and pieces of his traumatic birth story. And so he knows that he got cut out. And it was so funny because he had just turned five the month earlier. And my husband brought the boys in the next morning and it it's a public hospital. So I'm sharing the room with like three other women. Oh no. Another reason why I discharged against medical advice. So there was three other women who had just had babies and like were sectioned off with curtains. That sounds horrible. Yeah. And Big K walks in and goes, Hey mom, did you push her out of your vagina? Oh no. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, (laughs) But he like he was looking at her and he was too scared to hold her. Whereas the other boys were straight on the bed, wanted cuddles with her and he was just too scared because she was tiny. Well, for me, she was tiny because Big K was eight pound thirteen and she was seven pound fifteen. So big difference. Like he went straight into like three month old baby clothes, right? And she was still in like newborn baby clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he was just he was too scared to hold her, and it took him a while to warm up to holding her. I'm grateful that the boys had always shown an interest and they continued to show an interest. The only problem that we had was when Karen had told the boys that she wasn't their sister. Ugh. Like, so we had to, you know, work on that. Like, yes, she is mm-hmm. your sister. She didn't come from your mum's belly. She came from my belly. Um, But she's your sister because you guys had the same dad, the same as even though she has a different dad to Big K, their sister like their brother and sister. So, um, and I, I don't think we've ever really had any jealousy issues. I think we would have had jealousy issues if she was a boy. Yeah. I know uh, you had said that with big K uh, and that was something that I was worried about before we knew that she was a girl too. Um, I think there would have been more jealousy issues there, but luckily we don't have to deal with those. Yeah. Cause big K definitely expressed some issues to me. Like when his other sibling was born, he was just upset that his dad was having another boy and, you know, he struggled, but you know, he doesn't talk about him much, but I'm guessing they have a good relationship as right. much as they can. I was going to say, cause he's still a baby kind of, right? 
Yeah, so um, born the same year as Miss K, but the opposite end of the year, so. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was a little nervous about the how did the baby come out question. Thank God he didn't ask me because I, like, I believe in being open and honest with them, but, like, I don't want, I didn't want his mom to come back and be like, why are you talking about your vagina to my seven-year-old kid? You know what I mean? So, like, I was, like, mm-hmm. a little scared of that question, but thank God he didn't ask me. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess you could always go, I think that's a question that we you should talk about with your dad. Right, yeah. And like, that's, like, that's, like, what I had, like, planned. I told my husband that. I was like, if he asks me how this baby came out of me, I'm referring him to you, just so you know. Yeah, we had the conversation. Like, I didn't. I didn't even hesitate, but I guess it's because the, the boys were older than Big K. Right. So yeah. they they were 8 and 10, he was four turning five. So I was open and honest with him. And I just, and the boys just didn't ask any questions after that. Really? <laughs> like they just got it. Like they're just like, oh, okay. Like that's oh, where the baby well, comes out. I mean, there's nothing to it until you make it weird, really. And to them, it's just like nature and anatomy and it is what it is. That's it. Like the boys find it funny because I have told Kendall like her body parts and she like should say to them like, Oh, where's your vagina? And then they look at me and they laugh and I'm like, no, they're boys. They have a penis. And the boys giggle and they're like, penis. (laughs) That is so funny. That's like T's favorite word. He said like, He's gotten better about it, but he used to replace words in songs with the word penis all the time. And we're like, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, kids are funny. I know. Um, well, we put it out there in our Instagram stories to see if any of our listeners want to share any of their stories. And maybe we should get into that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So the first listener response we've got is the kids don't mind it it was high conflict bio mom who went crazy over an owl's baby yeah I had that issue too (laughs) I feel like that's like somewhat common luckily I was expecting that issue but thank god we did not have it but that really sucks because it really puts like a damper on this like super exciting moment that you have if she if she like adds stress to it yeah well as I've said before, and I think it's in previous episodes, especially the Owls Baby episode, Karen called my husband and abused him the night we told the boys and we publicly announced our pregnancy. Like, way to ruin our special moment. Yeah, that's what I was like. I was expecting that from our Karen, but luckily, I don't know, something happened to her that day where she decided to be nice because she never caused a problem with it at all so far. Mm. Well, that's good. (laughs) The next one here is not everyone is able to transition to mum. Some people only have the stepmom role. So I did reach out to her and ask if she meant like some people aren't able to have children because that's how I took it. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if that's what she meant. She didn't um, respond to me yet. And we are very well aware of that like we've Hmm. spoken with Madison where you know she very much wants to have an hour's baby but it doesn't seem like it's on the cards for her because of the boys right so we are very well aware that some mums are only stepmums and don't take that the wrong way because we aren't just stepmums right you know we are very well aware of it but we just did want to do this episode to talk about well, to reintroduce Lauren, who's been on maternity <laughs> leave, and yeah. talk about that transition for those that have been through stepmom to mom. Right. 
And I mean, we've talked about infertility on this podcast more than once. So um, like you said, we're definitely aware that that's something that people are dealing with. But there's also a lot of people dealing with this because I, I know like a couple of people, at least five people that I talked to on my Instagram that either just had a baby or are about to. So it's uh, something in the water where everyone got pregnant at once. <laughs> yeah. Has Nina had her baby yet? No, she's doing any day now, though. Oh, exciting. I know. Okay, and then the next one is I found my relationship changed dramatically with my stepson once my daughter was born. I'd love to hear more information on that. Yeah, so I did message her. I'm just trying to bring it up. So I did ask her and I said in a positive or a negative way because I know that I bonded more with the boys. They saw me more as a maternal figure, whereas like they knew I was big K's mum, but they'd never seen me as a mum until they saw me with their sister. Right. And that's why I had to ask. And she said negative. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And that's when she said, I wasn't given the newborn bubble. I always thought I'd have. His behavior started changing so much. The disrespect, the back chat, everything. And his dad doesn't back me up when I raise concerns. He just says, you hate my son because he's not yours. We have him full time. So she said, we have him full time. I toilet trained him, taught him how to tie his shoelaces, etc. His mum is only in the picture when it's convenient for her. I saw a counselor and they said he's displaying textbook signs of a child going through childhood abandonment, which when she said all that, I was like, yeah, that says that. Right. Because because he wants his mum to give him what I give my daughter and I've never left him out, but he doesn't want it from me. He wants it from his mum. Told his mum and his dad and they both blamed me for his behavior oh god that doesn't sound like a very supportive partner for her no it doesn't and i'd said to her that what i read i was thinking childhood abandonment and i did have even though i said the boys saw me more of a a mother they did but then the more they saw me as a mother to miss k then that's where the problem started like the wheels started to fall off with my relationship with Big J and Little J because they were seeing me, Mother, Big K, Miss K, and them. But then they realized what I was doing as a mother was what they wanted from their mother that they weren't getting because, as we've talked about before, she uses a lot of emotional parentification with them mm-hmm. and puts she she's constantly putting her emotions back onto them. And so that's where, especially with Big J, like we were butting heads a lot because I was trying to give him what I thought he needed, what I thought he wanted, but in reality he wanted it, just not from me. Yeah. That's definitely something that I um have thought about with T and am a little concerned about too, that he'll see how like we parent her and want that from his mom also. Yeah. And Like I did go into more detail and talk to her and offer her some advice. Like what we've talked about in one of our previous episodes is like every time you have to bring up something that your partner might see as criticism against their biological child is make sure that you also bring up the good things about the child. Mm-hmm. So they they see it more as constructive criticism rather than an attack on their child. Right. Um, but all you can do is tell, like offer the child the love and support that you can and sometimes you have to change the way you offer them love and support to not cause that rift between your relationship yeah but also her partner should not be blaming her for his behavior she sounds like she's doing everything she can 
she she definitely is and I had said that to her that's a shame I really hate when I hear that like she's given this kid everything she can and now she's getting blamed for when he's not doing something right and now that's her fault yeah especially when the bio parents need to you know strap on their like their big parent boots and yeah you know wear the shoes that they yeah the bio mom has no room to blame anyone for anything if she's only there when it's convenient for her Exactly. You know, absentee parenting. Yep. Ugh, I hate that. And then the last response that we got is recently announced to SD12 that we are expecting. She's now moving to bio mom full time. Which I responded, I'm guessing she was not pleased to have a younger sibling. And the stepmom wrote, not only that, she was upset because an she quoted, my mom asked my permission before she does anything that affects me and you guys exclude me. What? That's what the stepdaughter had said to her. Oh, and no. the stepmom said, when I asked how we exclude her, her honest response was, because you guys are always kissing and it makes me feel left out. And she said she is 13 years old for context. And my first response was, clearly she does not know what a happy, healthy relationship looks like. And sadly, now she probably will never know. That is really bizarre. Yeah. And um, the stepmom went on to say, unfortunately, not while she's with Biomum, I'm afraid. I've been in the picture almost four years. And in the last year, Biomum has divorced her second husband and had two new boyfriends move in with her. But diving deeper into stepdaughter's insecurities with mine and her dad's relationship, at some point he stopped spending time with her. So that's the dad's fault. Yeah. Like you can't just stop spending time. Like I get it. I don't always have something in common with my stepsons, but I've got to find that common ground. Like even if it means I have to play the Xbox for a while. Yeah. I was going to say, you do something that they like to do, whether or not you like to do it. Exactly. It's like, you know, we make TikTok videos together and I don't always post them because I only post the ones that the kids like give me permission to post basically. So, but we still have fun making them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, but the stepmom went on from the beginning. I've encouraged him to spend one-on-one time with his daughter, his family, stepdaughter, now 13, ex-wife, bio mom, and two family counselors have told us stepdaughter wants to spend more time with her dad. He refuses. He thinks because she lives with him 50-50 that that's good enough. He doesn't show any interest in stepdaughter at all. I've tried to build a relationship with her and she resents me because I can only conclude she sees her dad spending time with me and going places with me and he has repeatedly shown her he's not interested. I don't know how else to get him to spend time with her. So all of the years of being ignored, I believe, erupted when we announced a new baby coming. She doesn't know how to understand her feelings are directed at her dad and not me, but I think I'm an easy target. So she's always been mean to me, even though I have invested more time and energy into to her than her dad it's frustrating and putting a strain on our marriage big time i bet it is that's gonna be really really tough when the baby comes and she sees him interacting with the baby and not her assuming right. and he spends time with the baby yeah and like i'd said to her 
you're the easy target because she doesn't want to be mad at her dad. So it's easier to channel all of that energy into hating you, even if it's not how she really feels. Hopefully one day she'll see how you tried. It won't help her relationship with her father though. And she responded with, I'm exhausted. And I said, oh girl, I bet you are. Keep lines of communication open with stepdaughter and reassure her you want her in her sibling's life. That's all you can do, but it's up to your husband to put in his own effort. Yeah, man, I can't believe he's not doing that. That's so sad for the stepdaughter. And I've seen it before. Like uh, now, I guess, ex-friend of mine, she was in a yours, mine, ours blended family. And then when she she had another child, but it was a boy, the relationship was still good with her stepdaughter. And then she had a girl and even like her partner had said to her, like, you want nothing to do with my daughter now because you've got a girl of your own. But at the same time, he wasn't spending time with his own daughter that she went and left and went to live with her mom. That's so strange that people like get to that point. Like, oh, now you don't love my kid because you have your own. Like, that's just such a a crazy thing to accuse someone of. Yeah, but I think in some cases it could be valid. Like in this case, like I could very much see it. Like this person always wanted a girl of their own and she very much did once she had, like once she had her daughter, she even neglected her sons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like so she, like her boys played second fiddle to their sister basically. Gotcha. Um, So I think sometimes it could be valid, but, you know, sometimes I feel like, It's just thrown away, like thrown around as an easy way to hurt someone. Yeah, I think so too. You know? I mean, I feel like so many um, step parents have heard the the line like, oh, you hate my kid when they're just raising a concern that something is wrong. Like we've had that fight too. He's never said you hate my kid, but he has thought that like I didn't want him to come over because he leaves things all over the house. I'm like, no, he can come here and spend time here and sleep here or whatever. I just want him to pick up after himself. Like, right? it's, it's not that I don't want him here. And like, I've spoken before, like I did give my husband an ultimatum, but that's because there was severe behavioral issues and real safety concerns. That's a where- different story. I was at my wits end, like the other kids weren't safe. So I was like, either you put in the effort to get him the help he needs or he's not welcome here. Yeah. But that that was, there was some serious safety concerns there. And you know what? He finally got the help he needs. And, you know, he's half the time he's the better behaved child out of all four of them. Really? Yeah. That really switches things around. Absolutely. I could also see like how people could get there, like, if they see you loving your bio kid different than you love your stepkids, because I'm a fir- I was a firm believer before I had a baby, but that you don't necessarily love them the same way. Like, not that you don't love them, but it's different love mm-hmm. for both. Yeah. How do you feel now? Uh, I mean, I feel like it, it, it's hard for me to like say for sure because she's so young, but I'm like, I look at her and I'm like, I grew this. Like, of course yeah. I'm going to love her differently than I love my stepson. Yeah. And like, I've got four, like I've got to share the love across four kids. Right. And I I always say that I love Big and Little J the same as I love my bio kids, which I do, but I have a different type of love towards my bio kids too. Like the love I have for each of them, like when I talk about them, they are all my kids. Like besides this podcast or when I'm like writing in the blog about it, it's like I don't always – go my stepsons yeah 
you know, they are my kids. Half the time I just say I'm a mum of four. Like they're my kids. I love them. But in all honesty, I love all four of them differently. But that's sure. why I say that I love my stepsons like my own because I love e- each of them differently. They have different things I love about them. That makes sense. So, and they're still my kids. Right. I didn't yeah. grow them, but they're my kids. Right, for sure. <laughs> I, I just feel like it's a different, like, and like I said, because she's still not even six weeks old, it's still so fresh that I'm like, it's still surreal to me that this came out of my body. So I feel like I also feel that way about her right now because of that. Well, and so lastly, I have a very heartfelt story from a stepmom coach. Okay. I forgot to ask her if she wanted me to keep it anonymous or not. So I'm going to keep it anonymous while I read it and then I'll talk to her afterwards and then I can name her okay. um, if she says yes. But she wrote, For several months after my son was born, I found my stepson difficult. The extent to which he suddenly annoyed me so much more surprised me. Things that I took in my stride before, the toys, the clothes thrown around, grated on me to no end. I would be highly strung and sigh a lot around him and he would pick up on my unspoken moods and often ask what's wrong. Sometimes we talked about it and I told him I didn't like being grumpy and tired. It was not his fault and that in a family, we have to give each other grace. But week after week, I would feel the same tension and I couldn't enjoy his presence much. If he told me I love you spontaneously on any day, it would be such a highlight as I sometimes felt he was slipping away from my fingers. I relate to that. Whenever the boys tell me that they love me just spontaneously, it makes me melt. But at the same time, I go, what do you want? Yeah, right. That's where I'm at right now. Whenever I hear that, I'm like, something's coming. (laughs) Yeah, but it does. Like, especially when you've been in a bad mood and they just go, you know what? I love you. And it's like, you see me as a person and you still love me and you forgive my faults. Right. But she goes on to write, I didn't know whether it was because I now had a biological son or whether tiny babies can often change the way a mum views her older child. I Googled it. It's a thing. That's what she wrote. (laughs) I believe it. Or whether it was just a phase of expecting more of an eight-year-old. Once on handover day when his mum commented, it's no problem to have him for an extended period as she misses him so much when he's gone, I even told her how hard it's been to be warm and giving to her son when he has challenging behaviours and that there's no replacing a mother. She said, don't worry, it's tough. So it's good when the bio mum gets it too. I would be very suspicious though. <laughs> Just because of I, my relationship with my mom. Yeah, <laughs> I think they have a good relationship. Okay. Um, <laughs> But lately, just as surprisingly, but happy, these difficulties have melted away. It was on a day where we had a breakthrough in his attitude when I found the old generosity I used to have toward him and little things suddenly stopped grating on me. That experience gave me confidence and comfort that our relationship hadn't changed for the worse. And since then, I've been able to view his prickly behaviors in a new light, not with rising blood pressure all the time. The warmer weather has been good as we've gotten back into our cycling and park routines, enjoying my alone time with him my stepson being bigger and not as needy and fragile has also helped I feel encouraged discovering that relationships go through phases but your love for your children is a foundation that doesn't change and perhaps I should also be encouraged that it's also true in the opposite direction that's really sweet it is so she wrote that four years ago when um her son was born oh okay I wonder if um that like how she was feeling also is like postpartum anxiety, which is also a thing. 
that is a real thing. And also if you suffer from postpartum anxiety, it's also most likely that you have undiagnosed ADHD. Really? Yeah. So there's more studies coming out because a lot of women, especially in our generation, were failed to be diagnosed with ADHD because we don't. ADHD is displayed differently in women than it is in men. And so that's why when we're at school, there'd be lots of boys diagnosed with ADHD, but not really any girls. And it's come out that when women transition to motherhood and their brain switches and they have to, they've got so much more to do that their usual tools and techniques to cope and get through life aren't working. And that's where the postpartum anxiety hits. And it's a result of undiagnosed ADHD. That makes sense. I so I um was actually listening to it from another podcast, like a mum podcast, and they did an episode on how one of the hosts got diagnosed after she was like suffering really badly after having her kids, and it came out that yeah, she had ADHD. Oh wow, that is interesting. And it it makes so much sense for me because I say it all the time that I believe I have undiagnosed ADHD, especially after I just got big K diagnosed, but like I will happily go to bed with a sink full of dishes because I don't have the energy to wash the dishes, even transferring them from the sink to the dishwasher. That's too much energy. I don't have the mental capacity for that after a day with the kids. Right. You know, I definitely feel that my OCD makes it so I can't do that, but I do feel like I want to. And And, but that's the opposite. So the opposite is where you, you feel that, but you can't do it. So you have to do it. Yeah. That's like, like like legit. I actually have OCD. Not like one of those people who just have something particular and say it. No, like I actually have it. And I feel like compulsions like that all the time. Yeah. So it's exhausting. (laughs) It could also be linked to ADHD. That is interesting. I did not know that. So especially if you're finding like that postpartum anxiety. Yeah. it, It can all be linked. It's just, it's amazing really. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And it's amazing to think that like our mothers did it before us and they probably had the same mental health diagnosis, but they've gone undiagnosed and it's like passed down through the generations. Yeah. My mom definitely has ADHD and she's never been diagnosed, but I diagnosed it for her. Yeah. Like I, I see everything in my mom that I see in me and I'm like, oh my God, this is the why I am the way that I am. And that's why my mom gives me anxiety. Oh, yeah. That makes so much sense. Because her behaviors are giving me anxiety because it's just so chaotic. Yes, that's how it is with my mom. I can't stand to be around her because she's so chaotic. But then I feel like sometimes I'm chaotic. I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, Like therapy lesson right now. (laughs) It is. But I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. It's been a different one, sharing birth stories and the transition from stepmother to mother. But it's something that most of us, I'm not going to say all of us, most of us have been on or are wanting the journey we want to go on. It's important to uh, hear these stories if you're planning on it too. So I hope everyone enjoyed it. And if anyone wants to hear more about the birth stories or our our transitions from stepmom to mum, please write in let us know and we can cover it more and talk about different things and miss a is getting restless so we are going to say goodbye for now don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen follow us on instagram facebook join our facebook group and we'll talk to you next week sounds good bye bye